Hey, would you guys tell the band that you appreciate them? Big time. Thank you guys very, very much. Um, and uh, to go with just to stay kind of in the groove of, of what Chelsea was just saying, uh, I was very quiet while you guys were singing, and I, and I need you guys to understand something, because like, um, you guys are getting to gather together like this right now, and you're not breaking any rules for doing so. I have not heard my church sing all together since March 15th, so like, I, haven't, I haven't heard that around me in months. Um, and, and so I was also with Chelsea's emotions. I was also very emotional because I was telling God, like, God, I haven't, I haven't got to hear this in a long time. I haven't got to hear this many voices singing all at the same time. Um, and so I, I just want you to know, I'm not taking it for granted being here. Um, I, I texted uh, lead pastor Andrew for this church. I texted him last night, just thank you for the opportunity. I need to tell Sam, Sam, thank you for the opportunity because this is refreshing to my soul, guys. <laughs> like this is so giving me energy to like go back down and keep doing ministry when it is so exhausting and when it is su such a struggle, um, which is the theme of what we're going to talk about today. So I'm tonight. So I am. Uh, I'm preaching very much to myself right now. <laughs> this, this sermon, this everything I'm about to share with you guys as I was going through it and practicing it, I was like, dude, I need to hear this just as much as anybody else in that room needs to hear this. So just know I'm with you. I'm a participant as we come to the scriptures tonight. Is that cool with you guys? You guys doing okay? You still with, you still with me? Up there, you guys with me? Yeah. Right on. How about up here? Are you guys with me? Sweet. You guys have no choice because I'm going to look right at you and spit on you the whole time. So, I mean, that's maybe not right for right now in these times, but <laughs> I'll spit in that direction. All right, let me pray. Our Father in heaven, oh Lord, we need you. We need you. Lord, we need your help. Uh, we need what you, what you have for us. We need what you would supply in order that we might um, hear what you would want to say to us. Lord, we need your help in order to hear you um, because God, there is so much that blocks out your voice. There is so much about the world that we're living in right now that attempts to drown out your voice, Lord. It try, we, it, we try, um, we, we're pressing in right now, but God, we have to admit and confess here at the beginning that if you don't help us, Father, we're probably not gonna hear you. Um, we, we're too distracted. We're too tired. There's too, much, there's too many other things going on. So we need to confess, if you don't help us, we probably won't hear you tonight. So please come. Please help us. Be present here among the preaching of your word. Draw your people to you through your word. We pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last night... I, I told you and I can kind of concluded that uh, one of the reasons that it is worth it to discuss this topic of together, this theme of together is because we are, we even though out there it's divided, in here we're the church and, be, and for the rest of all eternity, we will be the unified. That's what Jesus prayed for on the night he was arrested. And that's what Jesus declared he died for. 
Jesus bought the church, his people with his blood. But for us to be together, for us to have the unity that Jesus prayed for, it will be a struggle. It will be a struggle. It is not going to be easy. In fact, think of it this way. Think of it this way. Think of Christian unity, us being together and us um, having our Christian community life. Think of it, it's a lot like swimming, okay? Imagine being like swimming, but not like, like leisurely swimming, like you're just doing cannonballs in the backyard or anything like that, you're at your, your grandma's pool or something like that. Think of it as like, like hard, difficult, long distance swimming, uh, an exhausting swim, pushing against the current. That's what your Christian community life is like. Swimming against whatever current at the time happens to be pushing against you. That's what it's like. And right now, in this moment in history right now, the current that we find ourselves battling against is division. That is prominent. That is front and center. That is the current that we find ourselves swimming against. And friends, if we do not intentionally swim against it, if we don't intentionally like decide to fight it, we may find ourselves drifting out into an ocean of isolation all by ourselves without anybody else around us. And the longer that we drift, the longer that current takes, those currents of division take us out and we drift with it, the more likely it is that we will drown because division robs us of life. That life that Christ died to give you, the life that Christ offers you, division kills it, robs it, takes it from us. So no matter how complicated or discouraging or exhausting this journey is, we must keep struggling towards the shores of unity. You gotta swim against this current. You have to decide, I'm going to swim against this current. It won't just happen. It won't be easy. It's a lot, I keep thinking of this image. Um, do you guys see the movie Frozen 2? Now don't front like you didn't see Frozen 2. It was a great movie, okay? I have three daughters. It's fantastic. It's maybe controversial, but it was better than the first one. But even if you didn't see it, even if you didn't see it, it was in the preview. Remember when Elsa was like trying to get past the big waves and she kept freezing it and running up and like it kept crashing down on her? Do you guys remember that scene? Nod your head with me if you've seen it. And, and guys, don't front it like, oh, I see you shaking your head like you didn't see Frozen 2. You didn't see Frozen 2? Oh, come on. Anyway, I recommend Frozen 2. But she, so she's trying to get past these giant waves and she can't do it. Even though she freezes them and runs up them, it still collapses on top of her. She keeps getting back up and getting back up. And it just keeps showing her back, back up and run again and get thrashed all over again. That's what this is going to feel like. For us to struggle for the unity that Christ bought for us. You guys, it's going to feel like getting right back up and getting thrashed all over again. 
by another wave and another wave and another wave. But it'll be, we have to see it because our culture right now is attempting to normalize division. It's trying to beat us down and trying to leave us there on the shore saying, just give up. You're never gonna have it. People are divided. That's just how it's going to be. People are all angry at each other. That's how it's going to be. This group isn't going to like this group, and that's just how it's going to be. It's trying to thrash us into the ground. The present potential for catastrophic, together-destroying division is right now pressing down on us from all angles. And guys, make no mistake, division is where we will end up if we don't fight against it. And that's everything that I wanna share with you guys tonight. Uh, that's what I want you to see. Without effort, without struggle, the vision is where we will go. And so I want you to see that in the passage that we're gonna look at tonight, that our unity is not going to be easy, but it will be a struggle. And as we make our way into this passage, I want you guys to know something. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting this on you. Would you guys all look at me? You, some of you guys are really good note takers and I appreciate that, but I want you guys to lo- all look at me. Tonight, you have to decide. You have to. Like you're responsible to because you're hearing me say all these things. You have to decide if you are going to enter into this struggle for unity or not. Tonight, it's on you to decide if it's worth it or not. I'm gonna warn you again and again, you're gonna get thrashed by the waves. All sorts of things are going to try to normalize division and are gonna give you the opportunity to give up. But tonight you're gonna get to decide, will you struggle along with us for unity or not? And so last night, we, be, we began what I called a four-part sermon. I don't really view any of these as like one single sermon. They're gonna just keep building on themselves. And so uh, we began in Romans 15, one through seven, and in those first three verses is what we looked at last night, but I wanna re- re- uh, review them really quick. Because what we saw in verse one through three, this is my favorite thing, favorite line from the whole time. If you guys remember nothing else that I say, remember this, okay? In our struggle for unity, what we see in verse one through three in our struggle for unity, we can't do whatever we want. We can't do whatever we want. It means we are going to have to lay aside freedom in order for us to have unity. Guys, that might be the most controversial and offensive thing that I could ever say in our particular culture. You are not, if you are gonna struggle for unity, you cannot say, I get to do whatever I want. You are actually gonna have to say, there are certain things that I want to do that I can't do. And, that's, and that is how it is. And man, that is for, for us, and, and maybe particularly for your age, that is a hard thing to accept, right? You don't get to just do whatever you want to do. Because if we're gonna see the unity that Jesus prayed for, you can't. You can't do whatever you feel like doing. You can't say whatever you feel like saying. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you need to say it. And that is a forgotten truth in the culture that we are currently a part of. Do you guys know that? People 
think something, so they say it. They feel something, so they do it. And they think that that's a good enough reason because they feel like saying it. They feel like doing it. But for us, as followers of Jesus, if we are to have the unity that Jesus prayed for, we don't get that. We, we, we set aside that freedom. And that's what we saw first in verse one. What we saw in verse one is that we live not for ourselves, right? That's what he says right there. He says in verse one, we who are strong have an obligation for the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, that we live not for ourselves. We live for, uh, for others. So, so when we live not for ourselves, but here's the thing, that should be like following Jesus 101. Okay, like that's, I, I said that last night a bunch of times. Like that's what Jesus said. He said, okay, dude, you wanna come and follow me? Like people would run up to Jesus and say, hey, I wanna follow you. I wanna be your disciple. Jesus' immediate response, it almost sounds like he's trying to talk them out of it. He says, listen, you wanna come and follow me? You are going to have to deny yourself daily and then pick up your cross. Then you can come follow me. So living not for ourselves really is following Jesus 101. That's what you signed up for. When you said, yeah, 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 I'm in for that. I will be a disciple of Jesus. You knew that's what you were getting yourself into was a life of setting your own desires and preferences aside for the sake of Christ. In this book of Romans, in chapter 12, verses one and two, he says the same thing. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a living, breathing sacrifice. That means you take yourself and you lay down yourself on the altar and you take your hands off of it and you say, God, you do whatever you wanna do with this life of mine. It is yours now. It's yours. Do whatever it is you wanna do with it. It's not for me, it's for your purposes. So guys, that's following Jesus 101. We live not for ourselves. We don't get to do whatever we want. And then what we see in verse two is we live not for ourselves, but for our neighbor. But for our neighbor, he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Do you see how other focused this whole thing is? Do you see this? In our struggle, in our, in, our, in our working towards and striving towards unity, we have to be focused on other people. And listen, the definition of neighbor is, as Jesus defined it is really anybody who needs mercy, anybody who needs compassion, anybody who needs help, any type of help, that's your neighbor. And he says, let each of us, let each of us please his neighbor for his neighbor's good to build his neighbor up. Now listen to me, I, wanna, I want you to know something. This phrase, this phrase, love your neighbor, it's actually a really popular phrase right now. Do you guys see it like everywhere? I do too. There's a lot of people who are calling for society to love their neighbor but they're using it. They're using it for their cause. And that's gotta, be, that's gotta be weird, right? It should cause us to pause a little bit if we're crying out to other people, love your neighbor, 
And they're throwing that out there to all of them in, in favor of to support their cause. Isn't that weird? You know, they put, they put love your neighbor on a picket sign. That's weird, right? They t- they're taking Jesus's words to Jesus's people and they're making a weapon out of them. You see that? The Jesus's words are just used to guilt trip people into supporting their cause. That's not what Jesus meant for us to do. And that's not what Paul, why Paul is telling us this right here. He is telling you, you want to know why he tell, he's telling us to do this? It's so that you love your neighbor. I know that's weird, right? He didn't invent that phrase so we could throw it on a picket sign or so that we could beat people over the head with it. That was not what it was for. Listen, if you are a Christian, and remember last night I made you guys think about it, whether you were or whether you were not, where you were in that whole spectrum. If you are a Christian, you have the command here. Dude, it is as black and white as it could get right there. Let each of us, there, you know, each of us is all of us. There's no, none of us that are on the outside of the each of us. Do you guys know that? That's everybody. He says, let each of us please his neighbor. That's there for you. Command, Christian, doesn't get any more black and white than that. And I love stuff like that. I love when there's like no controversy about it at all. There's no question. Nobody's like, man, I wonder what he really means right there, right? Like, who is that? Who is each of us? No, it's just every single one of us. And so I think that it would be a whole lot more effective. I do. And frankly, I think it would be a whole lot more beautiful if we just obeyed that. Christians. Like we just did that, you know? And maybe we just take a break from telling other people that they should obey that. And maybe we just do it. And can I ask you guys a favor as young people, as like the representing the next generation that's coming up behind or or that's coming up behind me? Can you teach adults to do this? Man, we suck at this. It just it says it right there and then we take that and we just try to tell everybody else that they should be doing it instead of just doing it. Can you just be, can you be better at that than we are? Can you be an example of that to us? To just hear love your neighbor and think, well, I should love my neighbor. And maybe just do it. And maybe, listen, let's, let's do it and like, like Jesus did. Let's, maybe let's just not take any pictures of it. Maybe let's not post it anywhere. Maybe let's not think of really cute captions to make everybody else feel like idiots because they didn't do that. Maybe we just do it. Because Jesus not only told us to do this, but he is actually the example of doing this to us. And that's what Paul says in verse three. We live not for ourselves, but for our neighbor, just like our savior. And thank God, because that's why any of us are saved. That's the hope that any of us are saved. That Jesus set aside his rights, set aside his preferences, 
set aside so much of what would have made him comfortable and he came here to serve his sinful, rebellious, wicked, hard-headed neighbors, us. And he didn't just like serve us in that like he did a lot of really nice things for us. He came and stood in our place. He came and took our death the penalty for our sins. He came because we could not help ourselves. We were neighbors that could not fix our issues, our problems. We were too broken to put ourselves back together. And so he came to serve his neighbor because our na- we could not help ourselves. And the Bible calls that grace. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. So he came to help those who couldn't help themselves, that's called grace. And so God in his grace came to save those who could not save themselves. And you know how we're saved? Not by working hard for it, not by deserving it, not by getting really, really good and so then we're savable. No, we just trust in Jesus. We just trust him. We just look at what he did at the cross on our behalf for our sins and we say, I needed you to do that for me because I couldn't save me. Thank you that you did that for me. I accept it. You just trust it. You just trust it. We couldn't save ourselves. By grace, God saves us through faith in the finished work of Jesus. And so let me ask you, you know, maybe you're in this room tonight or maybe watching me from wherever you're watching me. And maybe you've never placed your trust in Jesus. And maybe tonight would be a really good time to do that. And, and I know like some, sometimes it's hard because a lot of people would really love for there to be like fireworks that go off, right? Or you'd like, like to be led through some real fancy prayer that makes you feel really good or like trumpets go off when it happens. That's not really how it happens, you know? It's just maybe where you are right now. You just, I don't know, put your head down and say, I think I need Jesus to save me. I have sin. I know that. And if what Jesus did is enough to save me from my sin, I want to trust that. I want to believe that. And so if you've never done that before, why not tonight? Why not right now in this moment? And then when this is all over, you will find one of these amazing leaders here and you just say, hey, you know what? I did that. That, that he told me to do. I, I trusted in Jesus and I've never done that before. Would you do that? You're invited to do that right now. And the thing is, is he could never love you more than he loves you right now. You don't need to deserve it or earn it. You don't gotta wait for a thing to happen. Right now is a really good time. Right now is a really good time. So here's a question though, now that we move on. If we can't do whatever we want, but we want unity, where do we go? Because he he uses Jesus as an example here, right? In verse three, when he says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He said, Jesus is your example. And so we can't do whatever we want. We live not for ourselves, but for our neighbor, like our savior. So where do we go? 
How are we supposed to know what it is that we're supposed to do if we're not going to do whatever it is that we want to do? Well, look what he says. Verse four. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Well, good. We have something that helps us, right? That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So where do we go to figure out how to do this life of ours? Where do we go? You guys shout it out. It's like the Sunday school answer. Yeah, nailed it up there. I heard you first. The Bible, the scriptures. That's what he's saying right here. Oh man, and you guys right now are just thinking to yourself, oh man, here we go. Here we go. Guilt trip about not reading our Bibles, right? We need to just read your Bible. And no, that's not the point. That, that can't be my point because that's not his point here. He's not trying to guilt trip them into reading their Bibles. But, but I will say, I do want what I say next to maybe compel you to read your Bible more. I, I will admit that, okay? And then, well, okay, quick little side note here, okay? Real side note, maybe something about the Bible. When you don't feel like reading your Bible, can I just, can I just invite you to do something for me? When, when like your leaders are encouraging you to read your Bible and you don't really want to, I wanna challenge you to ask one question when you say, like, I don't want to, okay? Ask yourself, why? Just go one step further. Okay, I don't want to. I get it. Why? Okay? And just, just answer that question really honestly. Is it, is it that you don't, because a lot of times people will tell me, I don't read my Bible because I don't understand what it says. I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's like a whole other language to me. And so, like, I don't know how. And to that, I always want to yell at people, but I never do. I say it really nicely. But what I want to say is, duh, what thing did you start doing and you were just awesome at? Is there any example of that in your entire life? Like, no, we got to learn stuff. You got to learn to be able to know stuff. That's like, duh, right? But people will open the Bible as new believers and be like, I don't know what this says. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with this. Well, yeah. So ask one of these awesome leaders here, like, dude, I think I really would want to read the Bible, but I don't know how. And they'd love to help you. That's, that's easy. But maybe when you come and you ask, why do I not want to read the Bible? Maybe what you'll say is like, because you're just lazy, right? Like, and that's like a terrible reason to not doing anything right? It's like, oh, I don't want to read it because I'm lazy. Well, maybe admitting that would help you and be like, okay, well, I guess it's just because I'm lazy. I will. I will read my Bible. Or here's another one. Here's another one. Maybe the reason that you don't read your Bible is because you say that you're too busy, right? Anybody use that excuse? I'm too busy. I got sports. I mean, coronavirus really taking away a lot of those excuses, right? Who's, who's busy right now? But, but a lot of people will be like, hey, man, I'm too busy. But I just want you to understand something. There are, who's not busy, right, like in this world that we're living in? But what you're, what you're saying, and I don't think you're meaning to say it, but what you're saying is you are busier than literally everybody else that does read their Bible, right? Like, I, like I, I bet Pastor Sam reads his Bible like all the time. 
And when you say, I'm too busy to read my Bible, you are not meaning to, but you are saying, I am way busier than Pastor Sam, way busier than him. And that's super not true, and I think you know that, right? When people tell me that they're busier, they're too busy to read their Bible, I wanna scream, because I'm just like, oh, you're busier than I am, bro? Like, I just wanna lose it, but I never do. I give them a hug, and I'll be like, hey, the Lord be with you. But here's the thing, okay? Here, here, here's the thing. Try this for me, okay? Try this for me. Because there's tons of people that don't feel like reading the Bible that do. So I wonder why they're doing that. And I hear, here's what I think is the reason, is that they let desire dictate what they do. They have a desire to know God more. They have a desire to get to know the Jesus that saved them. And they don't want to all the time, man. They don't always want to, but they do because they want what's there. They want Jesus. They want more of Jesus. And so they go for that. And so I think if you would fall more in love with Jesus and want to know Jesus more, that would actually drive you past your busyness. Even if you are busy, it'll still be like, but I, I'm not too busy because I want to know Jesus. I desire to know Jesus more. Or if you're, if you're lazy or you don't know anything, desire is going to help you, help you read your Bible. Okay, that ended up a rant on Bible reading. I apologize for that. That was not the point. Uh, the point is, the purpose of Paul mentioning the scriptures here is to point something out to us. In our struggle for unity, we already have whatever we need. We already have whatever we need. And so, so am I saying that we're supposed to use the Bible in order to create unity? No. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. We don't, this is not some magic book that says, here's unity if I say these things enough to you, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But it says, and I think we find it in this text. So when he says right here in verse four, okay, we're gonna get, we're gonna get deep here. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So I think we find our answer to our question here. Who is the our in this instruction? And, and, and yeah, we could say us, and that's a good application, but, but specifically here, he's, he's writing to a church in Rome. And this church in Rome is a crazy, diverse group of people. They're Jews, they're Greeks, they have all sorts of ba different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds, different political backgrounds, and they're all coming together in the church in Rome. It is the weirdest group of people that could have been gathering together in the first century. There was no reason for this type of group to be together. And that's the hour. So the scriptures were given for that church's, uh, church's instruction. And that's important to remember in a, in a passage in verses one through seven, whose theme is unity. So what this passage is demonstrating is this, okay. This is, this is heavy, okay? This is like Bible stuff. Like we're gonna go deep. Are you guys ready with me? Give me like a big yeah, because you gotta wake yourself up. Yeah? Okay, this is a big deal, okay? You can go and teach your parents this, okay? This is a, this is a big one. What this is saying is, is we already have unity. It is already ours, Unity already belongs to the people of God, okay? Let me show you one example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
Paul uses this illustration that is super helpful for the church. He uses the illustration of a body, right? Like this, this right here, like not anything fancy, but like this, okay? This body. And, he, and he, he uses it as an example for a church, or it could be an example of a, a group of believers like you guys. That's, that's what he says. And what he says is this, for just as one, the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. That, that's how we are. We're one. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And then he says, Jews or Greeks, or he says, slaves or free. What he's saying there is it doesn't matter. Like the spectrum of types of people, it doesn't matter. You are all part of one body. And he says, all are made to drink of one spirit. How many times I say one in that sentence? How many times? Like a bunch of times. And, And what he's saying there is you're one You're already one. That's what we are. We already have the unity that I'm up here yelling about. It is already ours. See, Paul is not saying we use the scriptures to create unity. Our struggle for unity is not that we can't generate unity. Listen, our struggle for unity is to live out what we already have. That's the struggle. We already have it. We just have to live into it. See, we're a unified church by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the real question, the right question that we need to ask of this passage is what does our Bible provide for us as we seek the unity that Jesus won for us? What do we go to the Bible for? See, because you know, you know, and I know, we have a really long ways to go, right? This unity might belong to us, but we struggle real bad to like actually live it out, right? Right, can I get an amen on that? For sure, we have a long ways to go. So what do we need? So what can the Bible give us? What do we need in the struggle? If we're going to experience a long, difficult struggle for unity, what would we need? And that's what's so practical about this passage. He says three things that we need in this long, difficult struggle for unity. The first, he says we need endurance. He says that through endurance, this was written for our instruction, that through endurance. Now, that's like good news, because we need it, but that's bad news because we're gonna need it, right? That means it's not gonna be some short, easy journey towards unity. It means we're gonna be tired. We're provided unity or we're provided endurance because we're gonna need endurance. This means that the Christian life, and this is just a warning, this is a heads up to, to you youngins. The Christian life is a long distance, often difficult, an exhausting journey. It is. And so he says that we come to the scriptures for endurance. I come here so that I can keep going. I come here because I'm tired. I come here because the last five months, I didn't know what in the world I was supposed to do to pastor my church. And I'm tired. And so we come here for endurance because the Lord knew we would need endurance. That's why we come here. The second thing he says is that we need encouragement. He says, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. Again, 
<laughs> That's good news that we'll get encouragement. It's kind of a bummer because it means we're going to need it, right? You only get encouragement when there's a threat of discouragement. And that's a warning to us. This Christian life is a long distance, often discouraging, and sometimes heartbreaking journey. And so God said, I'm gonna give them this. I'm gonna give them this. I'm gonna remind them of what they have in me to encourage them because there's gonna be a lot to discourage us. But the third thing, and perhaps the most important and crucial thing, he says um, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We need hope. Guys, say hope. Oh, we need hope right now. Do you know that? We need it. So why would the scriptures be somewhere that we go to for hope? Why, why would the scriptures? Well, what is the source of the scriptures? God, right? God's the author of the scriptures. Well, look over real quick, if you have a Bible open, and I hope you do, to verse 13. This is a big deal to me. Verse 13 says, may the God of hope, meaning that's just who he is. He is the God of hope. In his essence, he is hope. He says, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound, overflow, burst at the seams with hope. So why can we go to the scriptures for hope? Because the God of all hope wrote the scriptures. It's offered there to us. His voice gives us hope. It pours out hope. In fact, it says by his spirit, he fills us overflowing with hope. And so that's where we go. That's where we go in our struggle. And Romans 5 says it the best way. In your struggle, in your suffering uh, for in the name of Jesus, it says that we are able to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's where we're going. We're gonna be in glory for all eternity. See, and then it says in Romans 5, our hope doesn't put us to shame. This hope that is offered to us in Christ will not embarrass you. It's not gonna let you down. And we need to know that right now, right? Because we're being squeezed. Our culture, our world, our country is being squeezed. And all of these false, flimsy, weak idols, they're crumbling, right? People put their hope in money. That's like dwindling. Hope in a job. That, so many people left and right are losing jobs, Right? We put our hope in like our structure and our society. It's like caving, right? It's falling down all around us. And people are looking around and I want to scream at them like, you're going to put your hope in these things? In these things, really? They're falling apart in front of your eyes. But Paul promises in Romans 5, our hope does not put us to shame. And here's the thing. For us to know that hope is worth it, it needs pressure. Hope needs pressure. It needs to be squeezed to know if it's real or to know if it's worth it or not. See, if our Christian life is like swimming, then we need the current to push against us. We need that. 
We're not drifting, we're swimming. We need it. We need the struggle to know that our hope is real. And hope reminds us that the struggle will be worth it. See, hope, hope is a glimpse of where we're going. Because if we, if we won't, we, we won't ever get there if we don't know where we're going. Our hope's worthless if it doesn't actually take us somewhere. Let me show you what I mean. I want to tell you a story. This is a story about uh, a girl named Florence Chadwick. Solid name, Florence Chadwick. And in 1952, she was going to swim. She's a famous swimmer. She already broke a bunch of records. Uh, she was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. And she was attempting to break a whole other record. She was going to swim from Catalina Island to the mainland California. It was over 26 miles, like a full marathon in the water, swimming. You, and I know you're thinking like, why in the world would she do that, right? Like that's the ridiculous idea. Who gave her that idea, right? 26 miles. And so on this morning in 1952, she, the weather was super foggy. She was, it was super chilly and cold out. She got into the water and she could barely see the boats that came alongside her to accompany her to make sure, you know, she wasn't eaten by sharks, right? Or drowned. Um, and she swam in that foggy, chilly weather for 15 hours. She swam for 15 hours. And at, one, at multiple times, she begged to be taken out of the water. But her mom, who was in the boat right next to her, kept telling her, you're close. You're almost there. You're almost there. And, and kept encouraging her to keep going. But finally, physically exhausted, and emotionally discouraged, she stopped swimming. She just stopped and they pulled her out. And it wasn't until she was back on the boat and got dried off and kind of looked ahead that she realized that the shore was less than one mile away. One, less than one mile. At a news conference the next day, she said this and I quote, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think if I could have seen where I was going, I would have made it. Friends, everything that is trying to divide us right now is the fog. It feels close. It feels like we can't see anything else. And it's beginning to feel like the shores of unity are just too far away. So many people right now are tempted to stop swimming. So many people are settling into separation. So many people are giving up on being together. So many people are just settling into being divided. I'm watching it all over the place. But the hope that we receive in from knowing the scriptures is what helps us know that the shores are just past the fog. And through the scriptures, we're given the encouragement and the endurance that we need to keep swimming against the current. Keep swimming. Because listen, we are told not just that we are one blood-bought unified church now, just for now, but that we will be that unified church forever. And so I want you to use your imagination, okay? Can you guys use your imagination real quick? Imagine that you're swimming, 
right now, like try and picture it. Maybe you're a bad swimmer and that's okay, but you, just for the analogy, you're a really good one, okay? And imagine that you're swimming a long distance like Florence Chadwick. Then right now, imagine that you're surrounded by the fogs of division. You can't see anything. You're frustrated. You're exhausted. You're discouraged. In that moment, unity feels unreachable. Struggling to be together seems like a waste at that moment. And you're tempted to give up. And now imagine as you're swimming, the fog lifts just a little bit and you can see something off in the distance. It's blurry, but you can see it. And you fix your eyes there for just a moment and imagine this is what you see a throne with a great multitude of people that you can't even count. You can't see how many people are even there. And you can notice that they're people from all nations. So many different kinds of people gathered around all tribes and peoples and languages standing around this throne. And in the middle of that throne, you see Jesus. He's there and they're worshiping him and they're all singing out to him. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to Jesus. You hear their songs and when you see that unity gathered around that throne, you just know that that's where you'll be forever. Can you see it? And at that moment, what you're promised is that before the throne, he who sits on that throne is going to shelter you with his, with his presence forever. He promises in those moments you will have no more hunger, never any more thirst, and that Jesus in the midst of the throne is gonna be your shepherd and he's gonna guide you to living waters and he is gonna wipe away every tear from your eyes forever. That's what you see off in the distance. And that is why right now we're called to keep swimming because seeing this fills us with endurance, encouragement, and most of all hope that reminds us our unity will not be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Because you see, we can see where we're going. I know where I'm gonna be. I know I'm gonna stand there. I'm gonna join with all my brothers and sisters and I'm gonna sing out salvation belongs to our God. I know we're gonna stand there. And so because we know this, we know that division can't last. I know it seems so close. It's so close to our face. We're surrounded by fog. I know that, but I know that that division has an expiration date. I know that. And I know my exhaustion and my frustration, it's gonna come to an end one day. And knowing that changes how we live today. Being filled with that hope changes how we live our lives today. So let me ask you and close with these questions. And I want you to think about these for the rest of our time together. What are you doing right now to swim against the current of division. What are you doing? And what are you doing to struggle for unity of this group of individuals for your church right now?
What are you doing? Remember, if we're not intentional, if we don't struggle intentionally, we will drift out to division, period. There's not like an in-between. So what are you doing to struggle to be together? Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege that it is, Lord, to cling to these promises from you. Lord, you have given us your word for endurance, for encouragement, and most of all, to fill us with hope. Lord, may we run to it in these divided times. Lord, fill us with this endurance, encouragement, and hope that we might keep swimming, knowing that this division will come to an end. Sooner or later, it'll come to an end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.